listening to the Survival in Motion podcast. Learn, adapt, prepare, survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be giving some ideas, definitely not exhaustive, but some ideas that might help you prepare for the death of a loved one. And by definition, this is the absolute most morbid episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. I listen to other prepper podcasts out there. I don't think anybody has dove into this subject as I'm going to do today. And I'll bet, in fact, I'm not a huge betting guy, but I'd be willing to bet some money this will be the least listened to episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. I don't know, ever since I talked about coffee, you know, <laughs> a couple of years ago, you know, ways to prepare for traveling with coffee. That was a real dud of an episode. And I think this one will be too. I think it's the subject matter and it's some ideas that have to be discussed. And there's no avoiding this. You will have loved ones who pass away and you're going to have to know some of the issues that I'm going to be talking about today. And like I said, it's not exhaustive. There's going to be a whole lot more that the family and loved ones will need to know that I'm not going to be talking about today. What I'm going to be talking about today are several thoughts, several suggestions that I think will help when a family member dies. First and foremost, I wanted to mention that my book, EMPNYC, which has been my latest, I'm working on a sequel to it, but when you listen to this podcast for several days, you can get the Kindle version of that book for free. EMPNYC stands for Electromagnetic Pulse New York City. So it's a book written from the point of view of some people in New York City after an electromagnetic pulse that attacks the entire United States. And against what I would recommend, these people decide to stay there, at least for a while. So you'll get to see uh, what happens if you want to stay in the middle of a big city after an EMP attack on the United States. The reason why I'm bringing it in is <laughs> it's kind of connected to a family joke. Which is, you know, my wife has written a few murder mystery books while I write these post-apocalyptic books. In your average murder mystery book, you might have one or maybe two or maybe, maybe three people get killed. And while I'm writing my books, I'll say to my wife, hey, uh, what's the death toll in your book? Oh, two people. Oh, really? Two people. Isn't that nice? Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, two people. And she says... Why? How many people are dead in your book? And I say, well, <laughs> well, let's see. We're talking uh, New York City, which is 8 million people. And the uh, death toll for your average EMP is supposed to be 90% within the first year. So, uh, yeah, uh, and it gets kind of started early in my book. So we're talking a few million people, give or take. As we're both writing our books, I'm comparing the death toll. That's why I think it's fitting to have a book with such a high death toll announced as being free on Kindle 
during this episode where I talk about preparing for the death of a loved one. Also, before I get started, let me just say, yes, I am an attorney. This is not legal advice. Legal advice is when you go to an attorney in your area who is licensed in your area and say, hey, hey, attorney, here's a series of fact patterns that have me concerned. And then the attorney says, okay, well, here is the law that applies to you and your various fact patterns. And here's what you should do regarding that law. I'm not doing that today. You know, this is a one-way thing. This is legal education. It's legal information, but it's not legal advice. I'm not listening to you and your personal situation and blending it in with the applicable law. I'm not doing that. So this is not legal advice. This is legal education. And my hope is that you will come away from today's episode and you will say, hmm, that was interesting. I might need to prepare for some of this, or I'll keep some of that in the back of my mind in case a close loved one dies. I'll have kind of a head start in the thinking of what I'm going to do. Or I'll go to an attorney and say, hey, in case one of us dies, my spouse or me or my parents or whoever, how can we prepare for that? And if you talk to an attorney licensed in your area, that's the way to do it as far as the wills and so forth. Anyway, the bottom line is today, this is not legal advice that I'm giving you. All right, some legal issues before we get started. When a person dies, they have either a will or they don't have a will. And if they have a will, that's when you bring the will and the death certificate to court and start a process known as probate. And the probate procedure, that's when the judge says, okay, We've gotten together all of these possessions and debts, and the will says that the deceased wants to do this, so that's what we're going to do. I'm issuing a court order that that asset is now going to be put in the name of whoever or whatever, and that's how the will process works. If you don't have a will, not the end of the world, but that means that the state will decide for you what happens to all of your assets. There's a person known as an executor who is in charge of doing all this, going to probate, getting the will and the death certificate and going to court, that kind of thing. The executor normally gets a few percent off the top of the entire estate. Now, there are ways to avoid probate. In other words, you can set up a bank account, you can set up a car title, you can set up a property deed in such a way that it does not have to go through probate. A prime example would be like a bank account. Talk to your local bank on how to do this. But basically, the idea is the checking account or savings account or whatever is in the name of one person, but another person is listed as the survivor or the uh, heir. There are different ways of wording it, but banks do have a way of saying, okay, this is your checking account today, but if the person listed here on your bank account walks in with a death certificate, then this is their checking account, and it does not go through probate. You can do the same thing with car titles. You have to follow the rules of the local Department of Motor Vehicles. And also, Most jurisdictions have it where you can have, for property, 
joint tenant with right of survivorship. I would not try this without an attorney, but it is possible where a husband and wife, in fact, some jurisdictions don't even need a husband and wife, just be two good friends or something. And they own a piece of real estate and the deed says person A and person B, joint tenants with rights of survivorship. That means that if and when one of the two people passes away, the other person comes up to the county deed office and says, here is a death certificate for the person who jointly owns this property. And uh, there are probably some hoops to jump through still, but the property will change hands without having to go through probate. Some of this stuff is simple, but a lot of this stuff is complicated and I would not try to do this without a local attorney. All right, there's another thing before I even get into it. I've had tape recordings of biblical sermons here, and I think we're kind of overdue for one. But let me just throw this in here right now that I have seen it in action, the power of prayer. When somebody is in a horrible situation, gravely ill or whatever, and a whole bunch of people get together and pray. I've seen it happen. I've seen it in action where the person will be healed. There was a good friend of mine at church in his 80s or 90s, and his health was nearing its end. I think everybody agreed with that. But there was one day that, you know, he's in our Bible study group. And one morning I was off uh, business meetings and another friend of ours from Bible study was uh, over in a different location. My wife was at home and several of us, we got a text that this friend of mine had had a really bad fall and that this very well could be his final fall and he very well could pass away just in the next few hours. My good friend was a Marine chaplain back, I think, in the Korean War. His wife used to teach nursing, and she was at his bedside in the hospital. And he was all hooked up to all the hospital machines and everything. And she put out the word. She contacted my wife and said, between the two of them, they decided, yeah, this really, really looks bad. So it was at 10.30 a.m. that several of us in the Bible study contacted each other and said, okay, we just got to pray. We got to pray for him. Later on that day, after I was done with my business meetings and so forth, I was on my way home, stopped by the hospital, and I met with his wife, and she said it was right at 1030 when all the hospital machines started lighting up, and that's when his organs started coming back to life, right at the exact same time that we all started praying for him. Now, this guy died about three or four months later. That was a pretty gradual thing, but I wanted to say that. I've seen that happen. That's only one example, but I've seen that happen many times besides this, that the power of prayer can do miracles. All right, what I'm going to be talking about is the assumption that a loved one is nearing the end of their life, and it's all pretty obvious to everybody. And you've had a lot of time to prepare for this. And even as the person goes into their final coma, there still is some preparation going on. 
So that's kind of what I'm assuming here. Obviously, not everybody's situation is the same, but I'm going to talk about some things that this family did with my good friend, the former Marine chaplain. Some things I think the family did that was pretty smart. At some point, a doctor said, okay, from here on, he's in hospice, meaning that any kind of medical attention was not with the idea of healing him. It was more with the idea of keeping him comfortable as he died. And when the doctor said, okay, he's in hospice, there are nursing homes, I think they're supported by uh, Medicare, Medicaid, that a person can go to for their final days. And the idea of being there is that the staff will try to make them comfortable understanding that this person is going to die. In the situation of my friend, the former chaplain, his wife was a former nurse instructor. So she said, all right, we'll have him on hospice, but we'll just have him at home. They cleared out a lot of the living room and put a hospital bed there. And there were a few machines that hooked up to him and so forth. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that is a possibility for you to consider that if your loved one is on hospice, they don't necessarily have to go to a nursing home that's called a hospice. It's possible to have the person stay at home and it's more comfortable there. Obviously, I'm not recommending that for everybody, but it's something to consider and it's something that the doctor may or may not approve or whoever. But in this situation, that's what happened with my good friend. When the person is either in hospice or at home in a hospice situation, it's a good idea to call around the loved ones, have them come on over and visit. There might be a shock that the last time they saw this person was months or years earlier, and they were, of course, lively and healthy and everything. And when they come in and see this person bedridden and maybe just in and out of consciousness, it might be a real shock to them. So that initial shock is something you need to kind of understand that it's going to happen. Once they get used to the idea, then they will not be so shocking. I remember when I visited my good friend who was former Marine chaplain and he was bedridden, uh, I came in, I was just shocked. I thought, wait a minute, I just, it was just two weeks ago. He was at least able to walk around. I was really shocked. And then after the visit went on and I talked to his wife and uh, talked to other friends there, I kind of calmed down and just emotionally accepted it. A few days later, a granddaughter came in and she looked kind of stunned. And then she walked out of the room and started crying. And that was pretty sad. But there's that initial shock. As the uh, death process goes forward and the body continues to shut down, I've seen this several times at several bedsides when somebody is dying, that a day or two before they actually pass on, I just call it myself, I call it a lucid moment, when the person who is about to die seems to wake up and they're completely lucid just for a few hours. And then anybody who is there, you know, has a good visit with them. You know, it's not 100%, but I've seen that several times as I'm visiting people or on bedside with people who are about to die, there's that final lucid moment when a person who is about to die wakes up and they're completely, completely wide awake. 
I think that's God's way of allowing a good goodbye. So watch for that. Just my own opinion, when you see that, if it does happen, that's the time to call some of the closest family members to come on over. He's having a good moment right now, so now might be a good time to come over and just converse. One thing I noticed that this family did that I thought was a great idea was in the last couple of weeks of this friend's life, the family went to several funeral homes in the area. And funeral homes actually have a price list (laughs) of everything they offer. Down to the nitty-gritty, they have a price list. So the family called up funeral homes and said, my loved one is about to die. He's not conscious right now, and I don't know how long he's got to live, but it's not that long. So we'd like to come over and talk about possibly hiring your funeral home for whatever. And they actually have price list for anything and everything. I saw it and I thought, wow, they even charge for that too? (laughs) Everything, including embalming, including cremation, including selling you a casket, including renting out their big meeting room for a funeral, including renting their hearse to drive the casket back and forth. And I mean, including everything. They come out with just the most minute details that they will charge for. And this family decided ahead of time that they were going to use this particular funeral home and they were going to have the memorial service at our church. And I'll talk about that later, but that's something to look at. You can compare shop with funeral home prices. This family did something I thought was pretty smart, which is that they located the casket maker of the casket they wanted to get, and they bought directly from that company and had the casket delivered to the funeral home they were going to work with. And that funeral home wasn't too happy about that because they thought, well, we're going to sell you the casket with us as the middleman. So the family did away with that and just bought directly from the casket company. I thought that was pretty smart, even though the funeral home did not like it. You also have to have burial plot lined up, ready to go. Or if cremation is an issue, what's going to happen to the ashes? It's always possible to go to some beach or go out on a boat and dump them over or keep the ashes in an urn or whatever. Or sometimes they cremate the body and have the ashes and then they bury the ashes in a graveyard. That's possible too. There are some jobs that need to be delegated to various family members and not just delegate, but also follow up. You know, hey, how's that job coming? Because it is possible to delegate a job to somebody and the person says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then a week later, they say, oh, oh, I forgot or whatever. So you got to delegate and follow up and say, hey, how's that coming? Here's a couple of jobs to delegate. Somebody in the family needs to gather together a bunch of photos of the person who's about to die and put together a a kind of a slideshow with some kind of music that is fitting. Now, the website Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R dot com, is great for that. They have several people who offer that service, people who will put together a whole bunch of photo files and turn that into an ongoing loop that you can play at the memorial service. And by the way, it might also be a good idea to just go ahead and buy a scanner for photos because everybody 
will say, okay, I will look through all my photo boxes and collections and here are a bunch of photos and you can say, you know, write your name on the back and we'll give your photo back to you. But if you just go ahead and buy a high quality scanner so that somebody can scan each of those photos and then work with the person at Fiverr and you can have that person put together everything. And at some point you can probably have CDs burned with all those photos on them, and you can uh, pass them out to family members. So anyway, that's one thing to delegate, because that's a big job that somebody's going to have to do it and do it right. Another job to delegate, which is not that difficult, is writing the obituary. And basically, you need to assign somebody, hey, can you write the obituary and get in contact with the local newspapers? And look at obituaries for other people, and that's pretty straightforward. The only variable would be when is the memorial service and where is the memorial service. And I think lately it's a good idea to say, in lieu of flowers, we encourage you to donate money to the deceased's favorite charity or whatever, you know, the Veterans Hall or whatever charity. Those are blanks that can be filled in later. But those two jobs need to be delegated And somebody needs to be on top of that, and you need to follow up on that. Okay, when the person dies, it's important to get a doctor to sign a death certificate. And in fact, several death certificates or copies of those. And of course, the body needs to be taken to the funeral home. The death certificate is extremely important for everything else. I mean, for all the stuff I talked about at the beginning, wills, various bank accounts, car accounts, real estate, whatever, everybody's going to need a death certificate. You know, this is a friend of mine who passed on. I think his wife at one point got 20 different death certificates to send out to different accounts, you know. The closest people to the person who just died will say, I'm all right. I'm okay. And, you know, to an extent, yeah, they probably are okay because they've had some warning. But I think it's a good idea to just kind of make the extra effort to comfort them and be around them, bring them dinners and stuff like that. That's one thing Christian churches do a lot of, which is, hey, somebody passed on. Let's bring them dinner and let's bring them meals the next several days. And so that's something good to do. And by the way, At this point, I wanted to give you a hearty handshake, pat on the back that you have made it through this episode for the most morbid prepper podcast probably of all time. So congratulations to you, dear listener, that you have made it this far without getting depressed and deciding that you would like to listen to something a little more upbeat than preparing for the death of a loved one. So congratulations, dear listener, on that. The family has to decide how to do the memorial service. I've seen different ways of doing it. I've seen where there's only one pastor. If you ask the pastor at your church, that's one thing that they do a lot of. They're used to being asked, can you do the eulogy for this deceased person? I've also seen, and I've actually participated in, When four or five people are given kind of smaller eulogies, and in that situation, it's a good idea to have those four or five people compare notes. I mean, right up to the last day, 
Have those four people compare notes. What are you going to talk about? What prayer are you going to offer? And what are you going to talk about? What anecdotes? What funny things or, or whatever? What are you going to talk about because you don't want people talking about the same thing? Actually, what happens is, as in my situation, I thought, yeah, you know, I'll go ahead and finish off with the Lord's Prayer. And then right after me came the deceased's uncle, who that's what he wanted to pray with. And so he, at the last minute, had to go with a couple of other prayers. And he was not very experienced with leading everybody and praying, so it was awkward. So if you decide to do it that way, get all those people to talk right up even to the last second and have them tell, here's the outline of what I'm going to talk about. Here's how I'm going to end it, that kind of thing. Now, every once in a while, there's an open microphone, or you can do it as a combination of the one pastor giving a eulogy. You can have four or five friends giving their own little mini eulogies, and then you can have an open microphone. Be careful of that. Don't get me wrong. People like to laugh at a funeral, but sometimes somebody can get up to an open microphone and talk about some really either disgusting or very inappropriate things that might be funny. And, you know, I guess uh, just uh, face-to-face out in the parking lot, oh, that's kind of funny. But in front of a church and in front of a bunch of grieving relatives, it's not very appropriate. And so, when you choose people to talk, you know, with the mini-eulogy, or if you offer an open microphone, it might be a good idea to kind of caution people if you feel they need cautioning. You know, sometimes they do. But, If you can just caution everybody, we all like to laugh at a funeral, but there's some things you just kind of have to keep it rated G. I've been at funerals where somebody gets up and goes off on something really crass, and it doesn't work. Now, if you are one of the people asked to get up and give a talk, I've told this to people before, and they've come back and told me, yeah, that's how it happened. If there was a graph of your stress... As you approach the microphone, that's when your stress peaks out. And then you first start talking. Right then and there is probably the most stressful you'll be. (laughs) And then it kind of slides, and you'll be amazed at how even the most shy people, when they're talking about a loved one who has passed on and they're sharing a good memory, you'll be amazed at how your stage fright will mostly disappear. So, if you are one of the people asked to give a talk at a funeral, your stress will peak right as you stand up to the podium and get to the microphone. And then from then on, your stage fright will go down tremendously. Also, there usually is a second service at the gravesite or where you're going to dump out the ashes or so forth. Sometimes it's a good idea to have like a reception And if you've got money enough, then you can have it catered at the church or close by wherever the funeral service was. But the second, I call it the second memorial service, it's at the burial site. Basically, that's just one person talking, usually a pastor. And then the funeral home or whoever's in charge, uh, the funeral home will say, okay, and now we're going to be burying and thank you for coming. And there's a reception at whatever location. It's just me, I know, but I've had family members at the burial site, and kind of the expectation is, okay, we're all done now, so we're all supposed to leave. It's just me. I know this is wacky. I know this is strange, but 
I stay there and I wait until I see the coffin go into the ground and the backhoe start to put the dirt on it. It's something kind of a closure uh, completion thing. Anyway, those are all of my ideas on my checklist. Like I said, this is not exhaustive. This is not the end all of all ideas to prepare for and act on ways to get through all this. But I think it's important to know, and I think it's good information to know. And I hope that you will not soon be in this situation. But if you are anytime soon, I hope that these ideas I had and the legal education I mentioned earlier, I hope all this comes in handy. So thank you for joining me here at the Survival Emotion Podcast. I hope you found today's episode informative and educational. I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless. God bless. 